The following is a paid program on this station. Cairo Radio was paid a fee to air the following program. All information discussed on the following program is for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. Prior to acting on any legal matter, you should seek legal advice from a qualified legal attorney who can evaluate your situation and advise you accordingly. Welcome to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Your Partner in Law is brought to you in part by the law firm Gregorick & Associates PLLC. Charting your course to a secure future. Your Partner in Law starts now. Here's your host, Rick Gregorick. And good morning and welcome to Your Partner in Law. It's Seahawks Sunday. 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock game, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, backup quarterback, Matt Schaub. He hasn't got a chance. Anyhow, uh, we got uh, KTTH today, folks. So Cairo's uh, uh, got the Seahawks and Dory's over there chatting it up. But we've got you for the next hour all to yourself, KTTH. So this one's for you. We're going to uh, talk today about the topic of Asset protection. I think it's a terribly misunderstood area when we talk about estate and elder law planning. What does asset protection really mean? Well, it doesn't mean you get a get-out-of-jail-free card, that everything's just perfect. What you're doing with asset protection is mitigating your risk for when an undesirable event occurs. Whether that undesirable event happens to be a heart attack, (laughs) a stroke, Alzheimer's, it might be a lawsuit for someone being injured at your business or your property, at your rental property. So it comes in all different types of areas where we want to think about protecting our assets. We want to protect them from both creditors and what we for many, many years have called predators. Predators might be your own family. Mm-hmm. They might be someone sitting in Russia and everyone in between. So we're going to talk about that. I've got Ted Hansen with me this morning, and uh, we're going to break the show into a couple of parts this morning. And the first half of the show, we're really going to be talking about protecting assets for those with modest estates. Not the Ubers, not the multimillionaires. But the rest of us, you know, people who do not have a big fat nest egg, but you maybe have a few dollars and you have a home. This is, you know, one of the you know most common things, you know, is people do end up maybe owning their home by the time they retire, but have few liquid assets in the bank. And then they have income coming in from Social Security. And maybe there's quite a few of this era right now that still do have pensions. But that's kind of it. And so we look at that and we say, gee, there's the house and the income, which is sufficient for you as long as everything goes right. That's right. You don't have that margin of error in your budget. Because if you're consuming, you know, 75, 80% of your income, your after-tax income that comes in just to get by month to month, you're not able to save enough, you know, if you already don't have it, that if you do have, generally speaking, as we age, a medical event, 
that might put you into some sort of institutionalized living or requiring home care, and all of a sudden the fear sets in, and many of you start acting inappropriately, thinking you're doing the right thing. Ted, what's the most common thing that well, people most, do? The most common thing is giving away assets, and that's the worst possible thing you can do without contacting an attorney beforehand because there's a lot of ramifications from gifting, not only in the Medicaid sense but from a tax standpoint as well. So we uh, caution people not to do that, and people still come to me and say, usually it's, guess what I've done, and then it's too late to un- unring the bell, so to speak. Right? Yeah, it's very difficult. And, folks, we're going to get a little more into this on why it's such a bad idea if you are of modest means. And modest means means you have less than half a million dollars in cash, you know, or less, you know, and, and, a, and home equity. You know, if you have home equity, that's one issue. Money's a different issue because they're handled differently um, in your um, estate and elder law planning. So this is the part of the show where we're really focusing on more of the elder law issues and then asset protection for families um, of this. You know, if you're in this bracket, you know, you're under a million dollar estate, you have little, you know, you have limited funds available in an in investment account, cash, stock, stocks, bonds, CDs, that kind of thing, and home equity. So, Ted, for the home equity, one of the challenges, as we said here, is is gifting. And nary a day goes by <laughs> where one of us at the office does not feel the call, and it's usually from a dutiful son or daughter, who I'm sure is well-meaning, but unfortunately ill-informed. And they call up and say, hi, do you guys do deeds? Well, yes, of course we do deeds. What type of deed are you looking for? Well, um, you know, mom's decided to, um, you know, uh, transfer the house uh, to me or me and my siblings for, you know, so the government doesn't get it. Ted, what's wrong with that? Well, there's several things wrong with gifting in that scenario. Number one is when Rick's talking about modest means, ultimately for an extended long-term care situation, he's talking about Medicaid and the need for Medicaid. And having assets given away for less than fair market value creates for you what you what we call a penalty period, which means if you were otherwise eligible for Medicaid, that is, you've spent your money down to the appropriate levels, that you uh, are going to face a period of penalty before you're actually eligible for those benefits. So The other big issue, and we've talked about this on the show before, is this issue of basis and transferring an asset to somebody with your basis, if you give it away, they take at your basis. So if you bought your home for 10000 I know this is a crazy example, but it's now worth $100,000, you have got a $90,000 gain that you just passed on to the other person. And they're going to end up paying taxes on that. And they're going to end up that. paying the capital gains on that. Now, there's some, if you live in the home for two out of the last five years, you can, if a single person, you can deduct 250000 a married couple can deduct 500000 But that, that takes a while to season, if you will, right? So it's not something It, it you does, can do but that overnight. is one of the strategies yeah. to overcome that yeah. efficiency is if you can live in it. That's right. Um, so it's really challenging. One of the, the other challenge that we often have to face is a, a reality of life. Let's say you do make this, what I would consider a mistake, almost every time. You do transfer that house, and you do transfer it over to one of your children. Do you realize your children can evict you? They can say, gee, Mom, I can't afford this house, so I've got to rent it out. Or 
Even worse, perhaps, is they decide, I could use the cash. I'm going to sell it. So in these gifting scenarios, it's very important if you're the one making the gift of your property, and you should only do this after consultation with an estate and elder law attorney. No offense to my colleagues who practice real estate law, but if if that's all you practice is real estate law, um, I'll, I'll ask my colleagues out there to please refer anyone to an estate and elder law planning firm if we have an elder wanting to do what we call gift deeds. There's just so many potential ramifications that are negative there. We've got negative tax consequences. But, Ted, this Medicaid penalty, it's approximately, what, about $9,500, yeah, it's, it's yeah, about $10,000. For every 10000 you give away, you buy yourself a month of penalty time. And, and the other thing that I think it's important to point out for people that think this is a good idea is that actually, subject to some equity limits, your your primary residence is what they call an exempt asset for purposes of qualifying for Medicaid. Now, there are some back-end hitches in some scenarios where they have this neat rule called a state recovery where they can actually come after your house for the cost of care that they've paid for, but there are other strategies by which we can avoid that altogether. So, But it is important, I think, to point out, Rick, that the house is, for those people that are out there, if you have equity less than about, five, I think it's 575 or thereabouts right now, the home is an exempt asset. So, you know, for most folks out there, I want you to understand that if you are, you know, getting up in years, so I'll say over over 70, usually could be over 65, kind of depends on how your health is going along. Um, we all seem to age a little bit differently. And so if you're getting up in that age, though, and you have generally it's accompanied by some failing health, whether it's been an early diagnosis of Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, something terrible like that, or it's a cancer diagnosis or there's been a stroke or a heart attack, some other, I guess I'll call it, wake-up call. And all of a sudden, the family who doesn't talk together very often or whatever, they're all of a sudden rallying around, and everybody's throwing ideas out on how do we protect this, and how do we do this, and how do we do that? And things you know, kind of spiral out of control, and folks come up with plans that are the the absolute worst things you could possibly do. You know, in this gifting, Ted, when people do this gifting, and let's say they've gifted away $100,000, so that's approximately 10 months of ineligibility. So that means that if mom was otherwise eligible, but for the gift on today, and mom needs care, she must go into a skilled facility. She can't be at home. She has to go, but no one, there's no money to pay. She does not qualify for Medicaid, and she gave away her money, and now they're going to look to the receiver of the gift, kids, and they're going to ask you to give it back, pay for mom's care during the penalty period. Now, if you refuse to do that, what happens now, Ted? That can get kind of ugly. Well, there's another ugly little rule that says I can get one and a half times the value of that gift back from the recipient of the gift. So and that would be the state basically yeah. suing you. Yes. The, the state's going to take care of mom. Yes. They're going to get her on one of the emergency programs, and then they're going to have the right to sue the recipients of the gift, kids, for I think up to 150% of the value right. of the gift, yep. plus attorney fees and costs. That's right. And I don't think it's a hard case for the state to win. Did the no. gift occur? Yes. Did you give the money back? No. Did you pay for mom's care? No. 
you know, your problem, honor we rest <laughs> the problem with that strategy usually is the money's gone right it's there's nothing left now you can you, you can cure gifts here in the state of washington but you have to fully cure them that means if you've given away a hundred thousand dollars in cash and you need to qualify for medicaid you can cure that by giving that hundred thousand dollars back but the the problem with that is, generally speaking, the money's gone. Yeah, it's and, like and you don't have any way to cure the gift, right? It, so. it, it's really tough. So I, I really want you folks to understand: do not go out and whoop yourself up a little quit claim deed, or just call some attorney over the phone who does not do estate or elder planning and make this transfer. You're going to regret it. I yep. can. I, it's almost for certain yep. because many people who. I have either called or not called the office and have gone ahead and done this strategy. They will be calling sooner or later, yeah, they <laughs> but they're now going to be calling for something far worse, far more expensive. Ted, I wanted to um, kind of touch bases a little bit because there are ways that we can gift, but we always have to talk about the Medicaid look back rule, which is basically folks from the date of application Medicaid is going to take a fine-tooth comb and go through your finances for the prior 60 months. And they're going to look at everything into your bank accounts, your investment accounts, everything coming out. They will identify if you've made any gifts, you know, cash transfers, this, that, and the other. You Property must, transfers, You must sure. report them. I I, I, I can only give you my very best advice. Do not you know, commit fraud and leave assets off. I know yeah. one time I had a gal that came in and she was she was an angry lady, angry at the government and angry that her mother's, you know, in this situation needs Medicaid. But mom owned two homes. One of the homes happened to be out of state down in Oregon. So when I told the person that, you know, she'd have to sell that house or do some other things with it in order to get mom qualified for Medicaid, she said, no way. And she got mad and she left, called me all kinds of names that I didn't know what yeah, I was talking did not about. like that. That's for and sure. so she went ahead and applied for Medicaid herself. And on the application, she just omitted mom's other property. Now, folks, um, she got away with it for a while, but she didn't get away with it. So things got far worse for her, and we were not part of that, of course, but don't do it. It it creates more harm than good. Yeah, because you're for, you'll forever be barred if you get convicted of Medicaid fraud, which is rampant out there. I see people all the time that apply and conveniently leave things off of that application. And frankly, some of these things slip by and the government never finds out. But when they do, oh, it's ugly. you're, now, you're now, in a world of hurt. Now, now, folks, think through that scenario. Your child is the one who committed the fraud on your behalf, and you lose your benefits. Yep. They may have other penalties as well, but you lose your benefits because of their bad act. That's right. Folks, while you're, you know, while you're in good shape and everything, we're, you need to have some conversations with your family, but also you must come on in and see an estate, an elder planning attorney, to help avoid these common issues and mistakes. We'd sure love to see you at Gregorick & Associates. You can find us at the web at rjglegal.com. 
uh, 24 hours a day, the website's up. So you can go out there anytime, shoot us off a question not, or whatever. I'm not, the website is. Ted's not, no. <laughs> hey, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, if you have comments or questions that you'd like to talk with us today, you have our undivided attention here on KTTH. Give us a call at 800 465 8770. Get the number 800 465 8770. Your partner in law will be right back. My dad would always say the three worst words in the English language were shoulda, coulda, and woulda. So many people with retirement right around the corner or in the middle of it have the shoulda, coulda, wouldas facing them. They're not proactive. You didn't take care of the will. You didn't take care of the trust. They didn't do what was needed to do when it came to real estate and taxes. So right now, let's avoid the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and call Rick Gregorick. Rick Gregorick is my estate planner. I sat down with Rick, explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or a charitable trust, real estate or taxes. It is so complicated. You've got to rely on an expert like Rick, who is so kind and knowledgeable about all of it. So be proactive. Take control of your life now. You can schedule a complimentary consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show, Your Partner in Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick, my estate planner, yourpartnerinlaw.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Brian Ott from 525 Advisors and host of Long-Term Care Radio. And Brian, we have another great question from a listener. What happens if I don't use my long-term care insurance? You know, Dory, nobody likes to pay for something they don't use. In the past, if you never used your long-term care insurance, the premiums you paid were simply gone, just like homeowners or car insurance. But you know what? Things have changed. We now have new programs that will pay you back even if you don't use them for long-term care. You can find out about all the new programs, including ones that pay you back at 525longtermcare.com. While you are there, you can send us your question and even sign up for a free class. And don't forget to join us every Saturday morning on Cairo for Long-Term Care Radio. Brian has a long-term care planning class coming up Saturday, November 16th. Seating is limited, so sign up today at 525longtermcare.com. Classes are free. You'll even get a copy of Brian's book, which has a ton of great info. Go to 525longtermcare.com. Have you ever wondered what would happen to you or your loved ones or your business if you were incapacitated tomorrow or if you died prematurely? None of us plan on it, but not addressing these issues can be catastrophic to your finances, your family, and your business. Hi, this is attorney Rick Gregory, host of your partner-in-law, right here on Cairo Radio every Sunday morning at 8. Elder or estate planning is necessary for all of us, regardless of our wealth or lack of wealth. So whether your estate is large or small, you simply must have a proper legal life plan in place to protect you, your loved ones, and your business. For your free estate or elder law planning consultation, give us a call today at 425-284-3450. At Gregor & Associates, my staff and I will take the time necessary to understand your needs and recommend the best plan for you and your family. Call us today at 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450 or go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. We're born to run in the morning. How about that? Yeah, we are born to run. Look at the boss. All righty, folks. Hey, welcome back to Your Partner in Law. I'm attorney Rick Gregorick, and I'm in with attorney Ted Hansen. 
Ted really spends a lot of his practice in the elder law area, um, asset protection planning for Medicaid-type uh, situations, uh, veteran situations. For those of you who are vets out there, um, please don't underscore your need for planning. And there are special things available to vets, as there are in so many different areas. You've, you've served and you've earned, and um, you should take advantage of these things. And uh, thank you for your service. So, um, so Ted, I want to talk just a little bit this um, segment on a couple of different trusts that are used. However, some folks are out there writing these things, and I hate to say they don't know what they're doing. Uh, these are really complex trusts, but, the, but they're meant to help shield assets for people who might be Medicaid recipients. And so let's talk about the asset protection trust we would use for Medicaid, a Medicaid asset protection trust. First and foremost, folks, it is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Let's start off with that. So, Ted, just kind of the basics on walking through what one of these trusts are and, and why they would be you know, useful in someone's estate. Well, generally when I get this type of question from a client, they come to me and they have a, you know, let's just say an estate, just maybe a little bit north of a half a million or so, and they're concerned about preserving some money for their family or something, and, and you have to have... In a perfect world for Medicaid planning, you need to have a five-year window. So as long as you can have your planning done within that five-year window, what ends up happening is after the five-year period elapses, whatever is placed in that trust is no longer considered a gift and can be passed on to your family. That's the that's the basics of it. Um, there are some legal mechanics to it. We have uh, people in these trusts. You have a trustee like you do in every trust. Uh, but these are a little bit unique in that they have what they call lifetime beneficiaries, which are the only people who can access that asset while you're still alive. And then, of course, you have death beneficiaries, which is who receives the money that's left at the end of your life. Uh, so there's a, there's some mechanics to this, uh, but that in a, in, in a nutshell is how we do it. And, and we need to have this window, like I said, in order to be able to do that properly. And a lot of people, frankly, just don't have the time, right? So they they come to me on the eve of going on to Medicaid and want to do this, and it just doesn't work. You know, well, I mean, well, there that, are other strategies, but that's the, the most critical component, and that's the message. Yeah, you've got to do this early, folks. Yeah, this you can't is, wait till you're absolutely. sick. Absolutely, this is one of those arenas where you just cannot continue to put it off. If you have a glimmer, like you have an early onset dementia diagnosis or something like that, you still have adequate time to do this, but you've got to do it earlier than later to make it work. Yeah, too many folks come into us uh, when dad's in route in the you know ambulance or the cabulance or whatever it is. He's on his way to the nursing home, to the rehab center. Yeah. That's not, I mean, yeah, you got to do it. Now you're at the point of no return. Now you've got to come in. Yeah. What we're saying is, folks, please consider being proactive. You know, if you've got aging parents or you're aging yourself and you kind of know, folks, you kind of know, don't be an ostrich with your head in the sand. You can kind of forecast what might my senior years be like. You know what your overall health is. You know what your lifestyle's been. You know, you can be kind of smart about that. Don't be, you know, kind of this guy that says, I'm invincible. I'm never going to die. I'm never going to get incapacitated. I'm never going to do that. Most of us ha have had some experience with a with a grandparent or somebody like that, an aunt or something that's gone through this. And and you think to yourself, well, that's that's never going to happen to me, or I hope it never happens to me. That's and, better stated. I hope and, it never happens. And the, happens. Really, the reality is is that 
you know, as you grow older, I think after age 70, the numbers are pretty staggering that about three-quarters of us will require some type of assistance now. Ted, let's just stop on that one. Three-quarters of us, folks. So if you're the person out there saying, I'm the guy who defies logic, I'm the guy who defies statistics, that I'm not going to be one of the three-quarters, not a good... That's not yeah. a good long play. That's not a good long play. That's right, yeah. You don't, you don't find those kind of odds, uh, let's just say, in a casino that are in your favor, certainly. The right? casinos have a less than one-point advantage <laughs> yeah. generally on the games, yeah. and look at that. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's, it's a risk like any other bet that you have in your life that you're going to outlive the situation or you'll have enough money to last you through the situation. And I can tell you uh, for a fact that when you start into long-term care situations on the east side where we work, uh, you're looking at minimum, I mean, even for a decent adult family home, it's about $7,500 a month. And when you get into dementia care and some of the more severe uh, ailments that, that require 24-hour care, I mean, you could be burning through 15000 a month without any problem. And, and and think of this, think of not just you, but your spouse as well. So now you're burning through half a million dollars a year. Well, well let's bring that into perspective. So right. each spouse has about a three-quarter percent probability of becoming incapacitated. Now we've got two of you in there. So it it statistically, it's almost a, a sure bet. I mean, if I'm a betting man, it's almost a sure bet yeah. that if 75% of everybody, and you have a married couple, I'll bet you at least then half. One of you is going to need it, more likely than yep. not. Right. And and it's, you know, it's one of those things that we keep talking about that planning is everything in this arena, right? I mean, and most people get hit square in the face with this when they're discharged from a hospital after a fall or something. And the doctor says, you're not safe to be home any longer. And I'm not going to discharge you until you go to this type of facility that can provide proper care for you. You know, it really is. So, folks, proper Medicaid asset protection planning can be done, but start early. Absolutely. You know, you might even start in your 50s, start talking about this, laying groundwork, laying foundation, keeping your plan up to date and current with the law. Hey, folks, give us a call. We'd love to chat with you this morning. Seahawks Sunday, 800-465-8770, 800-465-8770. Your partner in law, we will be right back after this quick commercial break. One of the biggest mistakes you can make heading into retirement is not planning for the high costs of an extended health care situation. A lot of people assume they have enough money saved only to watch everything they've worked hard for get whittled down to nothing from the ongoing costs of a long-term care situation. Do not make this mistake. By putting a long-term care plan in place, you guarantee yourself a source of funds to pay for care when needed, and you also know you won't become a burden on your family. Do what my wife and I did. Go learn about the all-new long-term care plans offered by 525 Advisors. These new plans protect your savings, protect your family, and pay you back if you never use them. Learn more by attending one of the upcoming classes taught by Brian Ott, who's host of Long-Term Care Radio right here on Cairo. Brian has a long-term care planning class coming up Saturday, November 16th. Seating is limited, so sign up today at 525longtermcare.com. It's a free class. You'll get a copy of Brian's book, too. 525longtermcare.com. Sometimes big events in your life all of a sudden cause you to wake up and realize you should start planning for the future. I lost my dad a little over a year ago to cancer, and I remember thinking to myself, 
I should probably have a will or trust. So I called Rick Gregorick. Now, the reason I called Rick Gregorick is because I've been listening to him on Cairo Radio on Sunday mornings, and the guy is an absolute expert. I sat down with him. I explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or charitable trust, real estate, taxes. It was so complicated. I was so glad I had Rick right there to walk me through the whole process. So be proactive. Take control of your life right now. Go meet with Rick Gregorick and schedule a compliment consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show like I do, Your Partner in Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Schedule a meeting with my estate planner, Rick Gregorick, at yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. We return to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH with your host, Rick Gregorick. And welcome back to Your Partner in Law. Hey, you can find us at the web, yourpartnerinlaw.com. How easy is that? That'll bring you right through to the law firm if you want to click through rjglegal.com. Ask us a legal question. Check out our blogs. Ask for our life plan organizer. Just let us know if you're married, single, or in a domestic partnership. We'll get that all to you. Hey, folks, today we've been talking about mitigating your risk through proper asset protection in your estate and elder planning. So the last half hour, we talked predominantly about modest estates needing to plan to preserve critical assets like the home or maybe a little bit of cash. So we're talking about people that were more likely than not to have a potential need or a real need for Medicaid government-assisted needs-based planning. You basically, it's a social welfare program, so you basically have to be impoverished, less than $2,000 in assets, but your home is an exempt asset when and if you plan for it properly. Subject, so that, to, the, subject to the equity limits. Sub, yes. Equity limits, thank you, Ted. And then um, you can do that. So we talked about Medicaid Asset Protection Trust, VA Asset, asset Protection Trust, you know, not... You know, but making the number one mistake we see happening almost daily. Please don't transfer the house to the kids without talking to an estate or elder planning attorney. It's a mistake probably 95% of the time, if not 100. That's right. So I want to shift gears a little bit now from to asset protection planning for what I guess I'll call abundance. You have more than you need. (laughs) Okay. And uh, so that would be, you know, that's a variable, you know. More than you need is a floating number. Somebody may have more than they need at a couple million dollars. Others may have more than they need at 50 million and on up. So it's all somewhat relative. But the strategies that we want to look at in protecting assets. Now, folks, just remember, no amount of planning and protection can, can really make the bad event go away. Okay, so you either get sued or there's been some other intervening event, some bad thing, a car wreck, whatever it might be. That's going to happen. Just like if we're going to get sick, we're going to get sick. Your estate planning doesn't really dictate that. Many other parts of your life do, but not your estate planning. What estate planning does and and asset protection and business planning is it shapes the outcome of events when they occur which means that you've given it some pre-thought, some pre-planning, put things into place. Lots of these asset protection strategies must be in place for certain periods of time in order to become effective. We have what we call fraudulent transfer rules. If you're already being sued or you reasonably should know or you know you're about to be sued, if even if it hasn't happened, 
You start transferring assets there to, quote, hide them from creditors, well, that's again the law. You can't do that. That's called a fraudulent transfer. Any court in the land will simply undo it as though it never occurred in the first place. So, Ted, when we get into this gifting for larger estates, there's, you know, almost an endless number of things that can be done. But it's going to boil down to two basic things that are being done. We are either using or either using irrevocable trust or business entities. It's the combination of those and then the proper utilization and drafting of those that's going to provide us our asset protection. And so one of the things I wanted to highlight, first and foremost, is not all trusts provide asset protection, okay? Living trusts that are revocable, you know, kind of the bedrock of estate planning for trust-based estate planning. We can either use a will or a trust. Well, the trust we're talking about is the revocable living trust. Now, it's a great tool. We call it the Swiss Army knife of trust. That's right, the Swiss Army knife of trust. It does lots of different things. Okay, It's not a specialist in a lot of things, but it does lots of different things. It's a tremendous tool. It's fantastic. But it doesn't do everything. Nothing in life does usually. So obviously your uh, your trust and trustee, they're not going to control your medical decisions, right? So well, nothing medical, so that's good. Now, it, in protecting your assets, assets in your living trust are still available assets for Medicaid. So they would not be sheltered from Medicaid in the revocable living trust. So that's, please understand that's that. Correct. Your revocable living trust has no impact on your income taxes. Other trusts do, or other trusts may. Living trusts do not. And the big thing is, though, please understand, because I hear this rather frequently, my attorney said or whatever, and I'm pretty sure attorneys didn't say this, but revocable living trusts provide no asset protection for the makers of that trust during your lifetime. Common misconception. Get it every week, pretty much. And I had this happen the other day, and these people were asking me, does this provide asset protection? And I said, no, it does not. It's it's available to a creditor or a predator, just as if you still held the property in your own name. They weren't happy about that, because if, if you have that misconception, that's one thing. Hey, we're going to go to uh, Ed in uh, Queen Anne. Uh, Ed's got a um, property question. Uh, good morning, Ed. Good morning yourself. You do a great service. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. We appreciate your listening. What we can do, what's your question today? I have a person who wants to sell me a large piece of property, and he has placed a very large mortgage on it. It has a 25% remaining value uh Assumable loan. <laughs> uh, is this someone you know? Yes. And so they did a, a loan kind of to themselves? They did a loan to themselves, and it is in a corporate name. And what he wants to do is simply sell the property to me, and uh, I will be buying stock, not, uh, not uh, real estate. But the question is, when that gets a sale, uh, we're selling stock. Are, is that subject to all of the uh, property uh, dollars for 1% for property and who knows what else? You know, um, 
The answer is maybe. It, it depends on how the structure is done and everything. Um, unless you're a pretty sophisticated guy and are pretty involved in real estate investing, this is not the way you would generally invest in real estate. And I would be very, very cautious. Please, I, if you're not working with a um, an attorney on this, uh, please do. Uh, I, I don't know enough well, about this, but yeah. there's enough red flags yeah. for me as an attorney just talking to you over the phone, not knowing the parties or anything. But these types of transactions have what we lawyers call the in, the indicia of fraud. Um, someone's trying to defraud you. I mean, why does he want to sell you a corporate interest in this property? Uh, there's just a plethora of things that we can't go into on the radio. But um, if you'd give us a call on Monday, uh, one of us would be glad to talk you through it, take a look at the transaction, what he's actually proposing, and uh, check this out. But these are the types of things where people sometimes invest in them only to find out they've been scammed. We've got well, uh, a couple situations the, going on like that right now. The intent is really quite simple. Uh, he bought it many years ago, so it's depreciated down to, in terms of the book value of the corporation, down to the uh, property itself, the land. In other words, so we're talking about a very large piece of money in terms of total value, but the equity, if all that's left, is like 25%. Well, like I said, there's the devil's in the details here. And you as a buyer, it's not really your job to make sure that the person you're buying from is, you know, okay with taxes or, you know, that he avoids capital gains and that. That's not your job, okay? His job's to get the best deal for him and your job's to get the best deal for you. Right now, it might be a good deal for him, but I'm not so sure it would be that great a buy for you because you get none of the benefits of owning real estate, but all of the risk. And I'm not real comfortable with that, Okay. So I, you know, like I said, I would just, the caution flag is up. And so forewarned, that's all I can tell people. Um, and don't go on, he's a nice guy, or he's done this before, or lots of people have done it with him. Um, please don't get mesmerized by that, because so oftentimes you turn around and go, where's my money? And it'll be all I have I have a separate question then. Okay. Do I go to an all-purpose attorney like you? Or do I go to a real estate attorney? I think I, well, um, I am a real estate attorney. I do a great deal of real estate work. Our firm has been doing real estate for over 25 years, myself for about 35 years. And uh, so, but what's unique about what we do is we're able to um, help you understand it within not just the real estate context itself, but in the other ramifications, how it might impact your taxes, your estate, and all those things. Many real estate attorneys are more transactional related or just do litigation work after the fact. Um, You know, not a lot are just our good planners and helping avoid some of these issues. Um, we oftentimes get calls from our colleagues on what kind of impact would this have on a state or elder planning or capital gains taxes or other income or um, excise taxes. So um, we're kind of a broader scope when we come into that because we have attorneys that are, you know, deeply skilled in each of those areas. And then we're a collaborative law firm, so we work with each other within the firm. So um, we'd love to see you. But uh, yeah, you got to be very cautious about stock sales because once you do that and you hold a position in that corporation, you are subject to all of the liabilities that come with it. So you need to be very delicate in this arena where you're dealing with stock sales okay. versus straight asset sales. 
Yeah. So, Ed, we, uh, we're going to have to sh- um, move along here, but thank you so much for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, hear from you soon. And uh, tell a friend. Uh, we appreciate uh, everything you have there. So um, we were a little late on our break. So um, here we go. Uh, I assume the phone number you give will be the one I use. Uh, 425-284-3450. That's 3450. That'll get you through. Thanks, Ed. We'll be right back, folks. Retirement. What does it mean to you? Has it changed as a result of today's economy? Are you worried about your future? Could there be stormy seas ahead? Hi, this is Rick Gregrick, founder of Gregrick & Associates. We're a dedicated team of legal and tax professionals that can help you navigate your course for a secure future. Whether you're just thinking about your retirement or you're well into your retirement years, whether you're single, married, or involved in a domestic partnership, we can help you create your necessary legal and tax planning. I am so glad I found one firm that can help me with all my legal and tax needs. Call today for your free consultation, 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. You can also sign up for a partner-in-law event. Just go to yourpartnerinlaw.com and find the elder law or estate planning course that's best for you. You can register for both events by going to yourpartnerinlaw.com, yourpartnerinlaw.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Brian Auth from 525 Advisors and host of Long-Term Care Radio. And Brian, we have another great question from a listener. What happens if I don't use my long-term care insurance? You know, Dory, nobody likes to pay for something they don't use. In the past, if you never used your long-term care insurance, the premiums you paid were simply gone, just like homeowners or car insurance. But you know what? Things have changed. We now have new programs that will pay you back even if you don't use them for long-term care. You can find out about all the new programs, including ones that pay you back at 525longtermcare.com. While you are there, you can send us your question and even sign up for a free class. And don't forget to join us every Saturday morning on Cairo for Long-Term Care Radio. Brian has a long-term care planning class coming up Saturday, November 16th. Seating is limited, so sign up today at 525longtermcare.com. Classes are free. You'll even get a copy of Brian's book, which has a ton of great info. Go to 525longtermcare.com. My dad would always say the three worst words in the English language were shoulda, coulda, and woulda. So many people with retirement right around the corner or in the middle of it have the shoulda, coulda, wouldas facing them. They're not proactive. You didn't take care of the will. You didn't take care of the trust. They didn't do what was needed to do when it came to real estate and taxes. So right now, let's avoid the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and call Rick Gregrick. Rick Gregrick is my estate planner. I sat down with Rick, explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or a charitable trust, real estate or taxes. It is so complicated. You've got to rely on an expert like Rick, who is so kind and knowledgeable about all of it. So be proactive. Take control of your life now. You can schedule a complimentary consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show, Your Partner-in-Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Your Partner-in-Law with Rick Gregrick, my estate planner, yourpartnerinlaw.com. We return to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH with your host, Rick Gregorick. Getting the let out this morning. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> hey, welcome back to Your Partner in Law. Appreciate you having you here this uh, Seahawks Sunday. 
And I know you're all getting ready for the game here in 15 minutes. So Ted and I are going to be uh, racing home. Uh, so law enforcement, just, you know, move away so we can get home and watch the game, too, or at least get into the first half of the first quarter. We're talking asset protection for your estate today, folks. And asset protection, as we said in the beginning of the show, are various legal techniques that will be used that will mitigate your risk. It doesn't make the risk go away. It mitigates it. It shapes outcomes of events when they occur. One of the key elements of virtually all asset protection, whether we're doing it out of scarcity and planning for Medicaid, or we're doing it out of abundance and we're protecting multi-million dollar estates, the key to both of them is you've got to have a planning horizon. Almost all of this stuff takes time, years to be in place before you get full benefits. You know, and those rule, you know, those those years are generally three to seven years. You know, we have five-year rules, seven-year rules, 36-month rules. You've got to know those things. Otherwise, these techniques are not going to work. So when we're talking about risk mitigation and asset protection for larger estates, those over a couple million dollars as starters, we're looking at various types of trust that are irrevocable. They may be Washington trust. They may be trust from other states. And in rare cases, trust from other countries. But for most of you, you're going to stay within Washington Some of you, we may go to Nevada, we may go to Alaska or Delaware, and then there's a few other states around for some esoteric-type planning that uh, we might want to do. Uh, Folks particularly interested in extreme privacy might want to go to Wisconsin, for instance, has some interesting South Dakota, believe it or not, has, has, believe it or not, become the number one. All these states with, you know, it's states with no population. Essentially. So they're saying since people won't come and live here, maybe you'd send some money. Because all these foreign jurisdictions require you to have money in that jurisdiction, right? right so that's, um, right. that's how they get you to bring money there. So it not is a kind bad of idea. That way, though, it's like Wyoming, Alaska. These states South all have Dakota, less than a million people. Yeah, you know, states are lots all... of lots of dirt and less than a million people. But, so but, it's but interesting. But there's some real benefit of, of of having documents drafted in those kind of jurisdictions. Sometimes, just depending on what you're after, and particularly when we start talking about these what we call self-funded asset protections, the so-called domestic asset protection trust or the self-settled trusts, Washington State doesn't recognize those. And of course, South Dakota, you can form these things in states that do, but you have to have some nexus to that state. Generally speaking, we would never do it without somebody having some type of a nexus with that state because. One of the ways that the courts would get around a situation like that is that issue that you just don't have any. You live in Washington and you're doing trust in South Dakota. So what's going on? So from you know from the get go, it's it could be kind of a, yeah. This is a dis- the radar. Really. This is a discussion we have a lot with uh, the do-it-yourselfer. They say, "Well, I saw on the internet you can do this. Yeah. Great. Did you research the entire law? Did you research all the, the case law. laws and yeah. the local laws? Yeah. And just because you can do something in one state." does not necessarily mean you can use that state's law in another state's court. You know, we have this choice of laws and different things, so you're going to get different outcomes depending on the situations. This is, folks, and I just got to be honest with you, doing asset protection planning yourself and whipping up little trust or LLCs and foreign jurisdictions yourself with the idea that you're going to get asset protection I would say at best, that's illusory. I doubt you will get it. We've rarely ever seen that strategy work for folks. We've litigated quite a few of them over the years. 
and you know people you know are all the time forming an LLC in Nevada, then they own property in Washington, California, or someplace else. They get sued here in the Washington courts. Well, states are pretty protective of their own laws. And other states that have laws that exceed or give more benefits, so to speak, are looked at with with a jaundiced eye because our laws are set according to our state. Now, whether you agree with them or not, that's not what's important. What's important is, you know, just because something is legal in one state does not mean it's legal in another state or enforceable might be a better term. That's right. So we need, need to do that. So you're much better off having a home-based jurisdiction for most of your assets. Most of you don't need to go outside the state of Washington. Some of you will. And some of you will need to go outside the U.S. jurisdiction. But that's big stuff. And that takes a great deal of um, integrated planning between your financial planner, your CPA, and your attorney. And, yes, as Ted was just saying, your checkbook. Um, that This stuff doesn't come cheap. Not just the legal fees, right. but there's almost always in-state required trustees. There's oftentimes deposit requirements um, to have on deposit in the um, state of jurisdiction. But jurisdiction shopping, this is what we're talking about, can be kind of risky sometimes, like I said uh, earlier, uh, without having some type of a nexus to the state in which you're planning under, right? So that's that can be problematic. And uh, people do it, uh, and there are reasons in some cases to do that. But uh, generally speaking, jurisdiction shopping, you don't need to leave your own backyard typically to have those types of Well, protections. let's talk about some other um, strategies that oftentimes aren't thought about as far as asset protection. But charitable planning. Setting up a charitable living trust or a charitable lead trust. These types of trust, once you transfer and gift the assets into the trust, those assets will now be exempt from your creditors and predators. And depending on whether or not you take an income stream, the income stream probably wouldn't be protected once you take it. But while it's in there, you've protected some money there. So oftentimes charitable planning is integrated into Asset protection because people doing that that are planning out of abundance. One of the you know one of the tools we have to use in larger estates is charitable planning. Most wealthy people do end up with some charitable component to their plan. We all know that Bill Gates and all the other you know billionaires out there all have their foundations and uh, they funnel. Well, in Bill's case billions of dollars into the um, Gates Foundation, um, which I think is good for all of us, probably. Um, The other thing that we we look at is using various types of business entities for asset protection and also for valuation discounting, but that's a topic for another show. But in asset protection using business activities, we're talking about creating business entities to hold rental, investment, real property. It can hold your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds. In other words, it can hold your um, investable assets. And while we use corporations, limited liability companies, limited liability, limited partnerships, limited partnerships, corporations, all these different business entities, these are not entities that are structured in the same way that you would structure your construction business or your franchise business or your clothing store, your, your whatever business it is you might own to do that. If Think about it, folks. You own a shoe store and you have an LLC set up for that shoe store. Does it make sense to you that the LLC for the shoe store 
would be a good LLC to hold your rental properties. Hopefully you can see those are two very different activities, and therefore the LLC ought to be structured and the operating agreement for that LLC ought to be very different for the active business versus the passive business. And this is where many of you make mistakes and get lulled into a false sense of security by creating the wrong type of business entity. It's got the right name, but who cares what the name of a document is? The name of a document doesn't mean beans. It's what does the document say once we read it? Just like powers of attorney, wills. I mean, if I told you I have a will, what does that tell you? Well, it says I have some sort of document that says something about who's going to be in charge and who's going to get my stuff when I die. That's all you know. You don't know any of the specifics. It's kind of like, Ted, it's like saying, I come up to you in this morning, I say, hey, Ted, I got a new car. Now, without any other information, what do you know? <laughs> that's right. You don't know much. Well, that's what we have in legal documents. You know, people come in and say, hey, I've got an X. I've got a power of attorney. Great. What does it allow you to do? Was it properly executed? Your business documents, same thing, folks. They need to be tailored to the business you're doing. I don't believe any business is generic. I believe your business is exactly that, your business. And you need to have a plan that works for you. Same thing with your estate plan. You can't use Mr. Jones' estate plan down the street just because he he looks kind of like you. He's married. He's got 2.3 kids. He's got a white picket fence, a pickup truck, and an SUV van, right? I'll just do a find and replace on my computer, and bang, I'll have a will. And sadly, some of you do that. And sadly, it usually doesn't work out too well. Yeah, that's right. Because the Smiths and Jones are two different people. In fact, you know, we're all different within our own families, and we need to do that. But when we're looking at um, another area of asset protection planning that I like to highlight to people is go ahead and set it up for the next generation. It's much easier to set up asset protection for someone else than it is yourself. And yeah, in, when fact, in fact, the touchstone of all of this asset protection, generally speaking, is that you'll part with the asset. You no longer own it yourself. And that's really the touchstone of these types of trusts that we talk about. And, and Rick said many times, never own anything in your own name. And that, that really holds true. And in business, in, certainly in the business world and in the planning world too, it's uh, it's not that you can't get a benefit from that asset while you're alive, but you do part with the asset. So that's what people have the most trouble with, I think. Sometimes Rick is realizing that they actually have to part control and dominion and control. They, well, they, they say yeah, and it all depends. I mean, you can give assets away, stay in control. You can continue to derive benefits. Yes. I always say, you know, think if you, um, you know, you like boating. And you go buy a boat and you maintain it and you moor it. It costs a lot of money. And what if, you know, someone else owned the boat and all you had to do was go hop on the uh, hop on the boat and fire it up and take off? You had full use and enjoyment of the boat without any of the hassles of ownership. Would that Beautiful. not be the greatest thing in the world? Beautiful. Right? Boats and airplanes, Rick. Those Boats are the and two. airplanes. <laughs> so, you know, these, these asset trusts and things that we do can work kind of sort of like that. That's right. And it's great. But I wanted, you know, setting up asset protection trusts for your children and grandchildren can be done um, relatively easily um, for almost all of you, all of us, uh, to do this. Now, we're running a little late on time, and I would be remiss if I didn't get in our last category of asset protection, and that is protecting your retirement assets. Those are your 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, traditional and Roth. For you, during your lifetime, they're protected. You don't do a thing for you. 
But what you need to do is consider what's going to happen when you pass those on to your spouse and then eventually to children or other family members, or you don't have a spouse, it's going to family members. When your retirement accounts go to someone other than your spouse, they are not protected from creditors and predators. They are not asset protected like they are for you. You may think they are. You may have heard they are. They are not. Uh, Supreme Court case in Clark v. Raymaker, 2015, made that very clear. Yours are protected if it's your own account, you've contributed the money or your employer plan. If your spouse inherits your retirement plan and properly rolls it over, they're going to be protected. If they don't properly roll it over, they're not going to be protected. When it goes to your children or grandchildren or anybody other than a spouse or a charity, they're no longer protected. So we've been doing what we call retirement plan trust or standalone IRA trust for many years now since uh, about 2007. And these trusts are magnificent for passing along your retirement assets. Now, again, this is a highly specialized, highly sophisticated trust. It is not a living trust. And we want to make sure that we do those properly. So those of you with IRA assets over a quarter million dollars, let's talk about those because they're very, very important assets. Most of you need to protect the equity in your home and the equity in your retirement accounts. That's the vast amount of the assets for most of you and most of us. So uh, let's talk about those. Check us out at rjglegal.com. That's our law firm. And you can always find us at yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Heard every Sunday on KTTH and Cairo and the Seahawks aren't playing. And the Seahawks are playing today. Atlanta, they're kicking off in just a couple of minutes. So we are racing out of here. Go Hawks. Thanks for listening to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick. Event Info newsletters and Your Partner in Law podcast can all be found at yourpartnerinlaw.com. To schedule an appointment with Rick Gregorick, call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. For more information on the show or to sign up for a free Partner in Law event, visit yourpartnerinlaw.com. Tune in next Sunday morning at 9 to Your Partner in Law with your host, Rick Gregorick. Simulcast on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH.